0: Hi everyone, this is Morgan Phelps with Acuity Brands. Welcome back to the Women in Sustainability Design the Future podcast. We have created this podcast to elevate the voices of women driving sustainable practices in the built environment. We hope you find their stories inspirational and helpful to the work that you do. The hosts for these conversations are industry veterans, Lindsey Baker and Kiara Gold. Let's get started. Hey everyone! Thanks for joining us again this week on Women in Sustainability Design: The Future. This is Lindsay, and this is Kira, and uh, we're back for another another week with another amazing woman. Can't wait to get started. Um, but let's let's check in, and uh, you know, yeah, how are you, Lindsay? Oh. Let's start with you this week. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I am good. I am. Um, I, I don't want to like divulges too much, but I have a project that I have started working on that I'm really excited about. Uh, and you know, my my unemployment, I, I think it is fair to say that at this point, it's more of a listening and learning project. Um, but it really has been uh, nice to wake up in the morning and feel like I have something to do and a reason to you know, like ask people to chat with me, have various Zoom chats. Uh, so, so it's been Great. nice. Uh, That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More, more for sure. We can talk about it in future weeks, but right now I don't want to jinx it. So <laughs> of course, uh, yeah, but otherwise it's doing okay. We, um, I've been very excited that to have like, like our local spice shop open back up again, and I got oh, to yeah. get some, some spices that just for, you know, you can curbside, and then yeah. Um, but it's the little things like that that actually, you know. Oh, for I'm sure. Such a foodie, I really like to enjoy that process, and it, you know, little things matter a lot these days. They
1: sure do. Um, That's for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. How about you?
1: I'm fine. I'm doing well. Um, just seems a little bit like more of the same. Yeah, <laughs> week yep. ten. I think we're in week, week 10. ten now. Yeah um double digits that doesn't i don't know it doesn't seem like it's it's all fine you know it's going yeah. it's there's patterns and it's good and um just a lot of trying to figure out how to process things and then figure out how to communicate people when they when they're on a different plane of the processing yeah you know, in any walk of life be it work or personal or anything because it's such a roller coaster and you just never know wherever the other people are on that cycle
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's change. really, I find it hard because, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I spend a lot of my time thinking about how society needs to change and some of these bigger issues around, mm-hmm. you know, climate and capitalism and all of that. And, right. um, and, and it's hard for me sometimes when I want to talk about that with friends and they need to talk about how they're completely losing their mind. Yeah. They're taking care of two small children. <laughs>
1: like, right. Well, that's the thing yeah. it's, and yeah. that's a strange thing too, because there's this incredible swing between the, like the global and the incredibly banal mm-hmm.
0: everyday
1: yeah. stuff. And it's, it's just, it's bizarre. It's a little weird to be yeah. processing all of those things. Totally. Time.
0: It totally is. It totally is. I, I um, yeah. And I, you know, just the sort of whiplash that you get from going. Yep back and forth from these different scales and from, um, I, you know, I mean, I even feel just sort of like I spend a lot more time focusing on the tragedy than I usually do in a given day. And yep. that's, uh, yeah, it's emotionally taxing. Um,
1: yeah. I don't know if you saw Dahlia Lithwick's piece in Slate, yeah. The Stream oh. of Death and Bread. Huh. It's a great little essay. I mean, oh, kind yeah. of,
0: did you see it? I didn't, but I think, did you post it somewhere? I, I did. Think, yeah.
1: <laughs> Because it I, it totally captured, I mean, it's a little on the depressing side, but it really struck a chord with me. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. Just
1: really interesting about just all of that. I mean, kind of that whole, the tragic and the banal all at once and how we are processing that um, and really how we need to make like listening a part of how we're being resilient and responding. I think there's this urge to kind of like respond and, you know, what what yeah. are we gonna do and da, da 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 and all this like be act you know what is the action we're taking, but there is a you have to listen,
0: yeah you know yeah, yeah, it's true it takes it takes a lot to do that um but it is it's so important, i mean, especially just listening to make sure you know about you know where the where your energy is needed most, you know where where we're yes. experiencing the biggest um crises here yeah, it is it's a it's certainly a time for listening. I keep thinking I'm going to make a list of pieces that I have enjoyed reading or, you know, clips or other things and share them for those that don't have as much time to listen as I do. Uh, Sure. sure. No, you're in a position
1: right now to curate that list in a really kind of different way than some of us are. That's a great
0: idea. I know. I should do it. I really should, but it, (laughs) I don't know. I can't. I I just read so much that it's a, it's, it's hard to pick (laughs) yes um but you know it's i'll I'll get around to some of it i certainly have been posting more on linkedin these days um and sharing things yeah Uh, yeah 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 in particular actually a friend of mine posted a great op-ed um that uh she did that i posted on linkedin about um the stimulus and i've also been um she wrote it on on the Hill and uh, which is a news site that's sort of more like DC Uh wonkish that I uh, it's called, we need just recovery uh, for the coronavirus and climate crises. Um, So I highly recommend it. And also just a a really incredible woman to follow out there in the world. Her name's Tamara tolls O'Loughlin and she's works at uh, 350.org. But yeah, so, I just posted that today, and she did a really nice job. Um, yeah, I could talk more about all the things, but I think Indeed. that's a, that's a good one. That's a good <laughs> nugget for this week. For sure. Um, so let's get started with our guest for today. Uh, so we, today we have Andrea Traber, um, who's the managing principal of Integral Group's Oakland office. And Andrea, I, I've known Andrea since I think – around when I moved to the Bay Area, and she's just an incredibly well-recognized uh, green building sustainability expert, worked on lots of you know, green building projects, climate action plans, those kinds of things um, with Integral and before. Uh, so we're very lucky to have her. Welcome, Andrea.
2: Hello, it's great to be here with you.
0: Yeah, um, thank you. I think this is going to be lovely. I think, um, well, we have a lot to cover. um, But one of the things I just want to highlight and kind of going into it, one of the reasons we're thankful to have you here is that I feel like you've always been a very grounding um, energy uh, in the communities that you're in. And I uh, so I think we as you probably can guess from these times, it's something that we need. So thank you for uh, for that. so maybe we could just get started by asking about your path, how you, how you got involved in architecture, sustainable buildings, stuff. Um, just tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. This is fun. I am, um, you know, uh, kind of gearing up for this. Uh, it has made me think about how I got on this path. And it is actually kind of an interesting story. Um, when I first got out of school in my uh, early 20s, I actually went straight into banking. I really wanted to be a business person and- No way. Kill it that way. Yeah, so (laughs) I had a 10 year career in banking, which um, that was in the 80s. Um, We might remember the Merge and Purge, some of us are old enough, uh, may remember that that was quite the um, first scene in the financial world, that -hmm. everything was turned upside down. Um, And I was, I look back and I'm super grateful that I had that experience. Not only um, did it give me a really solid grounding in business, which I do think is important, um, but it gave me the opportunity to be purged. And what (laughs) I mean by that
0: (laughs) is that my... Yeah, Yeah. so true. Yeah, Yeah, no,
2: really, it was an incredible opportunity. I, I was with that organization for about 10 years. The bank I was with got bought. I uh, stuck around to help through the transition, and then, of course, they laid me off with a severance package. That was nice. That enabled me to go back to school for what I really wanted to do, which was architecture. Um, and that had kind of bubbled up over a few years. I didn't know how I was going to kind of actualize that um, interest. So really, I really am super grateful for being purged from the banking industry um, in the late 80s, um, I then went to Berkeley for architecture, Um, you know, world renowned program, always sensitive to um, the thing we used to call before green building, something like ecological design. Um, And that was always my path. I was very, I was always aware that uh, solar and renewables and healthy materials and passive design were. Um, the foundation of what I wanted to do. Um, it was just obvious to me. So Berkeley was my foray into that and there I made some really solid connections. I um, was in uh, numerous studios with Sam Van whom I later worked for also. Uh, but that was, my, that was my calling and my opportunity to get myself on this path. Um, I then practiced architecture for about 15 years at a few different firms. Had my own small firm for a few years, betwixt and between, and then I started um, heading towards kind of engineering and consulting, just because um, technology and the um, science uh, behind all of what we're doing now has really always interested me, and kind of have a both a creative side and a very logistical, technical side, and um, that's it's just always been super interesting to me how those mm-hmm. how those pieces work together, how how the creative is informed by the Mm -hmm. data and the science and the technical and, you know, how they work together, to me, it adds up to more than the sum of its parts. So I'll keep going a little bit on this, but um, as I aim towards sort of very high performance, you know, net zero climate planning, et cetera, and kind of the path I'm on now, I just, I sort of saw design falling behind a little bit. And I wanted to push from the technical side so that it kind of explains my um, why I'm over here on, in an engineering <laughs> firm now. I would say that I have always seen the integration of all of this as being very, very key to innovation, addressing our issues um, at a very high level. Um, but really needing also to bring it down to the ground so that we can actually implement, you know, really see, uh, change the way um, we design, change our environment, change our practices. It has to be grounded by pragmatism and the ability to actually build and construct and operate and live in our communities.
0: There's a lot of things in there that I'm curious to dive into, but one of them really is about this sort of Transition into working more with engineers and in the engineering community. Um, I, I've always wondered that, the, um, but it, it does sound like for you, you had a certain comfort with uh, going into that landscape of the more technical. Is it? Is it? Uh, what would you say to people who maybe sort of have a background in architecture but start to get interested in that realm of engineering? It, to me, it seems a little bit like a it's a, you know, there's, there are professional culture aspects of it that are different, etc. What would people want to know?
2: I find this extremely interesting. And I will say this is one of the topics that I really mentor people on a lot, but, you know, people that I work with currently, but also um, young people who are kind of, you know, engaging in the design professions. And um, I would say it's really interesting to me, actually, that um, uh, young people entering this profession or these professions really see the integration i um you know i see young architects and then young engineers who um you know there is not necessarily a division in their mind (laughs) between you know design approaches say architectural design approaches and then the engineering response Um, and i think we're in this place where the Professions are, you know, really trying to grapple with how you really enable a very much more integrated design approach. And so, I think what's really key is to um, ask a lot of questions, to listen, to, um, you know, it's it no longer works to kind of mm-hmm. remain in your silo and be just the expert and you know giving solutions. But you really have to be able to talk to your clients, talk to your team members, talk to the builders. You know all the other consultants. You know, building design and construction and creating a built environment is very complex.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Nobody has the answer. There are a lot of great ideas. They all have to be, um, you know, developed together. You know, they have they really have to integrate so that they can be, you know, implemented. So what I see is really, um, you know, the ability to listen, to communicate, to convey ideas that are challenging and hard to convey it in a way that is simple enough for everyone to understand without, you know, losing the impact or the the content. And yeah, to facilitate that, it really is just a matter of listening, um, dialoguing, um, collaborating, and really leveraging all the, the talent of the whole team.
1: Andrea, as a leader, that really that speaks to me about your sort of role as both a leader in your company, but also in the industry. And I'm just wondering, um, in the context of the pandemic and all the uncertainty that is ahead of us right now, um, if you could maybe talk a little bit about sort of what leadership looks to you like right now, like what that landscape is for you. I mean, you've been such a leader for, for a long time. So I'm sure that you're getting all kinds of questions <laughs> in the in your company, but also beyond. No, this is totally fascinating to me. And I shared some initial thoughts with you yesterday. And that was, that
2: was interesting to reflect back that this is of interest. But let's let's just start with okay the um what this pandemic is doing to all of us it is first of all uh, i'll just share my own personal uh, you know i sit here in, in my kitchen dining room working and of course i am noticing every little ridiculous habit and thing i do that i'm just like oh my goodness i got this magnifying glass on every little action right i think this <laughs> happens to everyone then you scale that up to everything that is you know, unraveling and feels very chaotic, you know, at the societal level, at the neighborhood level, at the political, mm-hmm. um, at the global scale, it's, it's completely overwhelming, can be. Um, I think what I've really been noticing uh, from a leadership perspective is that what this is, is change management um, at a very rapid pace. And so what I'm trying to do as a leader in our organization is really to unpack that and help us as an organization see what we can control and what we may not be able to control and there's plenty of that Um, the things that um, the actions and the the um, reactions that are happening to our industry and our firm happening for everyone there are there are projects that are pausing some canceling there are new projects that are starting it's very unsettling um you know we're just starting to get back to um, actually building things that were in process <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and completing um, work and what the, you know what that has caused me to see is that yeah, uh, first y- you really have to think about um, all the individuals involved you know it's kind of a I see it as a scaling of individuals to projects and teams, you know to a firm to um, the industry and so really paying attention to the kind of the interpersonal dynamics, mm-hmm. recognizing that everyone is challenged, um, helping people understand that they, um, they do have support, that um, there is understanding that we're all challenged. But then, you know, how can I enable people, individuals, all, my, all our team members to really pull out what they know to be, you know, their best, um, their strengths, you know, to offer up their own creative solutions to deal with challenging problems, and so I guess what I'm saying is that really this focus on kind of organizational development and mm-hmm. team building, kind uh, of see it as yeah, individual teams, firm, uh, clients, um, this scaling and uh, interrelationship. It's very mm-hmm. interdependent. Yeah. So really focusing on the people. You know, it's all there's technology here still, but it's really people. How do we enable? all of us and each of us to really perform at our best
1: oh that's really interesting andrea does that mean i mean what does that manifest what does that look like specifically does that mean that you're looking at maybe setting up teams differently or things like that
2: yes exactly um one thing we are in the process of doing right now is really organizing ourselves along kind of regional lines versus just office lines so for us that means here in the u.s west we have LA and San Diego, we have Oakland, and we have Seattle, and then we have a small outpost also over in Denver. And so within that um, region, we have about 100 very talented engineers and consultants and leaders. And so rather than really focusing on how does our Oakland group um, deliver projects that came in to Oakland and have clients in this Northern California area, you know, rather than only thinking about that team um, servicing our clients and our projects, you know really actively um, partnering with our our other office partners within the region. so we, this is a very live conversation. This is you know, probably three weeks in the making, and it's very much our future starting next week,
1: really uh, enabling more of a regional discipline leadership approach. Sure. Well, and you just mentioned projects, and maybe for our listeners who perhaps might not be as familiar with Integral or with your work specifically, I wonder if there are any specific projects or really any accomplishment accomplishments in your work life that you feel like bringing to the attention of our listeners at this time. I just, if there's any specific mm-hmm. things. You had mentioned net zero work before. I don't know if there's something you might want to point out.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I, probably many listeners know that Integral has uh, really, is really founded on um, not just innovation, but you know really uh, aimed at accelerating you know positive change in the direction that we all know we need to go. Through that lens, we have really done a lot of leadership work around net zero energy, net zero carbon. We are now in the realm of looking at you know this relationship of grid and building, uh, community scale, planning scale work. We've gotten some really deep, analytics capability, which um, is extremely valuable. I would say I am I am more connected to multiple projects. I, I would not say that I have an actual favorite right now. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate all of the work that all of our teams are doing and the focus of our firm. Um, I think in a funny way, this uh, unusual circumstance we find ourselves in is really causing us and all organizations to really reconsider how we organize and what our focus is and then how we adapt.
1: You also, um, you mentioned that you really have both a, you know, sort of a dual approach to this, a technical side and a more artistic side. And I know um, that you are also a painter. And I wondered Mm -hmm. if you could talk a little bit about that, about why that's important to your work or your life.
2: Yeah, I would love to talk about that. (laughs) I'm actually looking at a painting right now that just always inspires me. Um, Yeah, I've been painting uh, for 20 plus years in many. Most of my work has been abstract, which is kind of interesting. It's a contra to like a built environment, lots of straight lines and 90 degrees. And I started painting while I was still practicing architecture. And, uh, you know, I did not want to go to art class and then do, you know, rigid lines. I did not want to do that. I wanted to kind of do the opposite. So that was a skill and a practice, actually, that I developed. And I have continued that. I think right now my painting is really focused on, um, I've noticed myself really gravitating towards nature. And that does not mean landscape painting. That means um, the elements. That means the sky. It means water. It means um, abstractions of nature. Um, and I would just say it really is a practice. Uh, it, is, it is a combination of Kind of being in a kind of a meditative state, um, really, just sensing into um, uh, creativity and art. Um, I really enjoy color. I, I I like form. I really like experimenting, and it's kind of an R&D lab for me, in a way. And I just I I love just exploring. I think this really does inform how I approach not just my work, but you know relationships and friendships and things like that. It keeps me open. It keeps me curious. It makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Those are all good things. <laughs> all good things. <laughs> well, I love that notion of painting and that sort of expression as being kind of a something that informs, you know, thinking about change management and things like that. I that I think that's really terrific. That's
0: great. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It it is. It's really. I've known so many people more recently in my life that have found something like that, that it's like it a lot, it like enlivens a part of your brain that mm-hmm. uh, doesn't always, uh, is it, that in doing so it kind of op- opens things up for you um, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, whatever it is. Um, that's cool. Well, yeah. So I have a, I have a totally different question. We're going to move to a different, a different realm of our chat, which is about the larger movement about uh, around sustainability in the built environment. We like to ask people if they feel like they are a part of the movement, and if you, if you feel that way or not, you know, how would you define um, your feelings about about um, about sort of the concept of a movement and mm-hmm.
2: in it. Yeah, definitely. I I very much um, identify with being part of a movement. And I will say that if I didn't, I would be bored. (laughs) Quite honestly, I've always been comfortable in uh, with change, I have always been comfortable with kind of this this gray zone, like the place where you're out of your comfort zone. I always kind of go there. (laughs) Just because I'm curious, and I want to explore and you know, my my the underpinning of just, you know, having grown up in the Bay Area and having been, um, you know, part of movements prior to green building, um, it's just always been there for me. I see it really as a way to create the change we need. Um, I'm not scared of it. In fact, I I get energy from being part of a movement and really connected, connecting with like-minded people and practitioners. And that has always been true. I mean, you, you have all been around the green building movement for long as I have and what an incredible community. I mean, mm-hmm. this is where I get my inspiration and support and you know connection. I mean, it's it's incredible. And I think, you know, I think we all need that. We need to feel part of something that has purpose and value. And this is absolutely it for me. I um clear on that. Yeah. Do I see that we can continue to leverage? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So say more about that. I, I think um for, for many of us the year 2020 is a has been a milestone that we were looking to and we're in it now. Obviously not the 2020 that we thought that we would be having for <laughs> lots of reasons, but um can you talk about your your attitudes towards the momentum that we have as a movement? Do you think how do you think we're doing now? Where did you think that we would be in 2020 compared to where we are now?
2: Yeah. Excellent question, I think it's always interesting to look back, see what you expected, compare that. Um, you know, a long time ago, 2020 seemed really far off and I figured we'd probably have most things solved by then. Haha. I actually think we've made some pretty great progress. I think that problems and challenges we are addressing are thorny and really hard. I mean, just really think about the energy transition, getting off of fossil fuels, that is not easy. It is big money. You know, it is a transition. It is not overnight. I think we all get frustrated that we can't just, you know, put solar everywhere and be done, right? The fact is we are, um, you know, starting with California and many other locations, we have turned the corner. There is, you know, what we would call grid parity in terms of pricing between renewables and the grid pricing. So we are deep in this transition. It is moving in the right direction. Do we need to continue to push? Absolutely. Um, the pieces I see that are very much emerging here and elsewhere are the all electric boom. So let's not use gas. Gas is a fossil fuel, obviously. Um, it is transitioning out. Is it gonna, are we gonna stop everywhere all at once? Absolutely not, not possible. But can we you know, accelerate that change? Absolutely. Those are the ones that come to my mind. Uh, I think also I've, you know, this relationship with the grid the grid is not a bad thing. The grid is a great thing. Can we improve it by making it more resilient and adaptive and cleaner? Absolutely. We should not toss out all that infrastructure. We should improve it. I have some optimism around the fact that, you know, oil oil is not very valuable right now. I don't know that it will be <laughs> in the future moving forward. I think that's a good thing. It's not easy for people who own, people in companies who own a lot of oil, but I see this as maybe another turning of the corner and an opportunity to really maybe correct the economics around that. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. without any influence of um, what I would call some poor policy making right now. that, <laughs> that
0: was subtle, very yeah. subtle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, so yeah, I, I I see a lot of those same things as well. I'm I get excited to. In particular, about the decarbonization mm-hmm. um, efforts that are going on, and um, totally agree with you that it's just it's good to see uh, that the progress is happening. I, I wonder if you have any areas that you think we aren't progressing fast enough, or things yeah. that you think are are still issues that you yeah. know that we haven't maybe fully reconciled with yet, or haven't addressed to the degree that we should.
2: Absolutely, um, the first one that comes to mind is really equity. You know, we are still very market driven, <clears throat> which means that real estate is developed in a market setting. And yes, we have affordable housing. However, we still have huge social issues around homelessness, around communities of color being displaced, but also, you know, really not, not part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you know, it, 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 it's inadequate. Our current solutions to our social problems are inadequate. I believe there is intent to do better. Our current systems don't do that. it's it's primarily our development. I will say real estate development um, broadly. Uh, That is not to say again, that there is an intention to do better, but we haven't figured that out. You know, I think also about education and, and schools and I grew up here in California when California was number one in the country in our educational system. We are now number 49 (laughs) or something like that. It is shocking to me that that occurred and that we haven't corrected it. Uh, That is very related to um, equity also. So I do think we have larger societal issues to deal with that also then relate to how we all... um, you know, recondition to take care of our community to be to feel like we're stewards versus victims. <laughs> Not to be too uh, drastic there. But mm-hmm. you know, yeah, lack of inclusion is a serious issue. It's a very serious issue in all
1: dimensions. Absolutely. I'm curious too. um in that context, who are you most inspired by these days in terms of leaders? And those could be leaders in any realm, really?
2: Yeah, gosh, so I, I have to say, I uh, I continue to be inspired inspired by Greta Thunberg. Um, here is this oh maybe seventeen year old young woman now who is she just she is compelled to do exactly what she does because she because she has to you know I just I she is so brave and courageous. Um, she has managed to highlight and kind of you know a, <laughs> the most pressing issue of our time. Climate change is even more pressing than the pandemic. Let us not forget. And she, I just completely admire the way she puts herself out there. She is scared when she does it, but she can't help it. She has garnered support. She has galvanized a movement, helped galvanize a movement. She does not seek to do it alone. She seeks to motivate by just being really clear and direct. I completely Mm -hmm. admire her. I also admire uh, people like AOC. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yay, I said it without stumbling. Uh, she's 30. Yeah. <laughs> I had to look this up the other day. Like, wow. Uh, if she is 30 and uh, not just, you know, she she has brought um, a lens to politics and economy and equity um, that we have sorely needed, but she's done it in a way. Well, yeah, she she. She has uh, certainly disrupted, but she's sticking with it. And she is not being just a disruptor. She is working with establishment and other pieces of a political puzzle and, you know, really attempting to um, change, cause change that will benefit. And I think that's super courageous. (laughs) As we know, the uh, politics and economy are probably our most challenging institutions to reorder. Um, again, it will not be overnight. Who knows what's going to happen after what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really admire her um, and her courage to really be there and, and cause change.
1: Yeah, it will be really interesting to see if her influence and in others um, can help us avoid, you know, after the last recession, there was the, there was we actually went backwards on the fossil fuel progress because people right. sort of rushed in to invest in that to solve the recession, right. And I'm hopeful that things have advanced far enough along that we can make sure that clean energy is part of our bouncing forward or whatever it is we're going to be doing right <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see
0: and also, I'm excited that you said, Greta, because now that puts us at I think three people on our podcast who have said that Greta Thunberg is like their biggest inspiration. yeah. <laughs> wow. I did not know that she's definitely winning.
1: She's so (laughs) compelling. She really is that bravery that you were talking about. I mean, it's just, you just see her and, and it, she really is driven to it. You do, you know, I think you said something about she, she has to do it. Right. It does feel like that. She really is compelled, Yeah. um, which is quite powerful to see.
0: Yeah, and I, th- and I think it's one of those, um, I don't know, I guess one of the reasons that that we asked this question about inspiration is that it does, it seems to us that having Greta around has given all of us a little bit more clarity and energy behind our work and why we do it. Um, and so that in of itself has been really great. Um, to see that that's sort of a, that that she really resonates with everybody on that level. I mean, what she's saying to us is obvious in some ways, right? Right. It's the voice in our heads. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's the voice in our heads. And we're like, somebody stood up and said it.
0: And she's, you know, a teenager. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it really, it really makes me happy to know that we've got, um, like, that. we all feel so unified by it, despite the fact that, you know, sometimes when you have young activists working on something that people have been working on for a long time there's this perception sort of like yeah join the club or like oh you have no idea what you're talking about whippersnappers um and so that is you know that's not what's happened with her (laughs) everyone's like yes this she's brilliant and it's i I think um i'm just yes we're certainly very fortunate to have her and all and all really all of the young youth leaders um that are uh, working with her and that you know, she's been very good to to celebrate and to try to point to as well. Um, so, so thanks for that, Andrea. That was yeah. good to be reminded.
2: If I can tag onto that just a little bit, I mean, here here we are. I am in an industry that is, you know, fairly conservative by and large. And my observation of we have a lot of young people on our staff, millennials and younger even. <laughs> um there is kind of this perception of a split or a, a you know whatever is that like, you know we got the wisdom of the elders and the and the youth and honestly the most exciting and inspiring uh work that i'm seeing is when those two come together um mm-hmm. i am every single day extremely proud of our our young team working with our seasoned professionals and just really being very passionate being very capable and just really wanting to move forward in a way that is unusual and that does matter, and that is very purposeful. And I, I, uh, I think that's a really interesting phenomenon we may be seeing in our uh, in the built environment and in the
0: design and building professions right now. Just want to underscore that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's a really good point. Um, yeah, we are sort of. It's it's a it's a good industry to be in for that type of intergenerational wisdom to be shared. And 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 you guys. I know Integral is a firm well enough to know that it, you all do a great job of, uh, of facilitating that type of, uh, th- those types of relationships. Um, so thank you for your leadership in that. Um, it also made me, I, I just have to ask because like when people listen to the podcast, maybe they'll get a tip, but do we pronounce it integral or integral?
2: Yes, the conundrum. Okay. Yeah. So we decided about probably a year ago, we should probably say one thing. Oh, and- great officially integral okay
0: great
1: okay we're everyone
0: training ourselves yes. you've heard you heard it here yes <laughs> and too it bad
1: before. we didn't ask you at the beginning so that you didn't Sorry. hear me mispronouncing it through the entire
0: show <laughs> yeah me too uh but now we know and now i'm happy to hear the, the official decision it's, was only made a year ago so we're not that behind yep makes me feel better <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but thank with you. that, Andrea, thank you. Um, that's all the time we have today, and we really appreciate you being on. Well, thank you. This has been a
2: delight, and I uh, appreciate being asked. And I will look forward to um, the next podcast that you yeah.
0: issue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, we we um, I, it's it's a it's a part of a whole unfolding conversation. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. And um, yeah, thanks so much, everybody. That is it for us this week on Women in Sustainability, Design the Future. Thanks again to Acuity for hosting and to you all, our listeners. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters and it helps people find us. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks.